Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Julio Aramillo from Evergreen Communities. Before we dive in, I wanted to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners and means the absolute world to me. Thanks for making my day with that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Julio is the founder, president, and managing member of Evergreen Communities and its affiliates, the owner and operator of more than 4,000 home sites across 12 states. He formed the company in 1999 with a $5,000 investment and has built it into a $325 million privately held organization employing 75 Americans. In his off time, Julio is an avid cyclist and Ironman triathlete. Julio, we are excited to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. Pleasure to be here and, and looking forward to talking to your guests and sharing my story. So excited. Hey, before before excited we get into the juicy stuff, we have to talk about the Ironman thing. I want to know, because you know those that know me know that I, I do those as well. I do one or two a year. So how many have you completed thus far? When did you get into doing those? I mean, first, I, I'm going to tell a lot of your listeners that what you do and 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 having some kind of a lifestyle like that is just so beneficial for your business. So I've been an avid cyclist since I was 15, and I, I was I was born in Medellin, Colombia, where we're known for our climbing. We we do you know in the Tour de France and many other places. The Colombian climbers are always there, you know. So that's always been my passion. And then years back, you know, we started doing these annual trips. So I, I've ridden my bike in in France, in Spain, in Colombia, in Armenia, in Central America, all over the world. And we followed the tour in an RV uh, back with Lance in 2005. And we rode up Mont Ventoux and and Alpe d'Huez. And and then one of my buddies said, hey, he's doing a marathon. Let's do a marathon. So we did, I did my first couple of marathons. And then they dragged me into Ironman. And I'm, uh, I was telling you earlier, I'm not a great swimmer, but I've, I've gotten a lot better. And, and now I, I, I just, whether it's an Ironman or, you know, we're into gravel riding, mountain biking. We, we just did a trip in March to, to Colombia in the Andes. We went over 14,000 foot elevations and through the jungle and just amazing experiences. And, and that's where I do a lot of my best thinking. That's where I met a lot of my best investors, people that are going to work and put the time into their body and into their mm. mind are, are going to be the kind of people you want to hang out with. So uh, it, it's, it's part of my everyday life. I mean, this morning I rode. Uh, yesterday I swam and rode. I mean, it just, and I feel it keeps me young. I'm 55 years old and I've never been in better shape. So, so wow. yeah, well, so I, I won't it. embarrass myself by saying what my time was on my last 70.3, because I think you got me beat when I saw your, your Oregon 70.3 time. I think, yeah, you had five hours, 24 minutes finish time, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, a 28 minute swim at 55, dude, you're crushing it, man. I love it. Well, thanks, thanks, and and the, the course helped me a lot, but uh, but I'll I'll take it. Just so you <laughs> you got to always know you're competing against yourself and your own body because there's always someone That's better right. and faster. So I, I just enjoy it. Oh, I love it too, man. And I think one of the things you mentioned that was like we kind of skimmed past it, but like it has helped me so much in my business to 
you know, you don't really think about it, but to do those triathlons, you have to be very organized. You have to, you know, to go into the race, to set up your transitions. There's so many things you need to remember, right? From a bike pump to your hydration, to your nutrition. So there's so much that goes into it. And my mind just thrives on that. And then also just the motto, right? Like anything is possible. Yeah. Like it, it has pushed me literally because I was, I was a chubby kid. People don't know this, but like growing up, I was the chubby kid that played football. And I was, you know, when I was in little league, I was like an O lineman, you know, but now I'm like in shape, I'm thin. And people are like, you know, Holy moly, you were just, you're just born this way. Or how'd you get this? No, it was like pushing through that mental block. So I love it, dude. Has it helped you that way as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love what you mentioned, the organization, the discipline, you know, the discipline. if we're doing a big ride on Saturday night, I can't go party Friday night, no. go out with my wife and drink until two in the morning. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I got, I got to take it easy and get to bed. So it, it helps organize your life. Then you appreciate the the celebration times and the other, and the other things. And like you said, you feel good about it. I can eat, you know, eat what I want and know that I'm going to burn yeah. it off the next day. Cause I'm, I'm going to, you know, kill 2,500 calories on a, on a, <laughs> on a ride or, or, a, or a long run. So uh, yeah, I, I recommend it. And, and people just got to find their passion, whether it's hiking or, or surfing or whatever, um, you yeah. know, just find something that, that gives you that balance. Totally dude. Well, let's dive into how you got started in manufactured housing, interested in, in learning about your story. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm one of the veterans in this business. It's fun. it's great to see all these new people coming in and the young guys. I I started in 1989. I was at UCLA and just went and picked up a job, put myself through college and picked up a job um, at the UCLA Placement Center for the Carlisle Group, which is Ron Singer, not not the hedge fund. This was uh, Ron Singer's group out here in Beverly Hills. And went in as an accounts payable clerk and just inputting bills and and for these for these trailer parks. I'm like, what the hell are these? But I'm just I'm just inputting the bills and 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 I I'm always just meticulous and I and I like to teach. Uh, I, I teach it. Uh, I, I go to my high school, Burbank High, my alma mater, and I I set up a scholarship because I was like, hey, I want I want to show these kids that. I don't care what you are, what size, color, race, gender, identity. I don't give a shit. You can make it in this great country. So quit beating up the country and the system. And, you know, if you want to complain about it, get in line with, you know, all the other all the other haters or figure out how you can make it. So I did that. And and I was, you know, I went, I was valedictorian at my high school, went to Caltech and hated it and then transferred to UCLA and then ended up in this at this uh, working for Ron Singer. And, you know, so much is talked about race and this and that. And so I, I love the diversity being, hey, I'm Hispanic. Hablo español. I was born in Colombia. I love Colombia. I love my country. I, I, but but I love the U.S. and I love our free enterprise and I love our system. And it, it, there's going to be winners. There's going to be losers and winners in any in any system. So you got to go find it and then take care of the help and and develop and download to the people to, to make it happen. So so that's what I did. I was inputting these bills and I was inputting these water bills at one of the properties that Ron owned. And it was like 4,000 bucks a month. And you just start seeing the trends and, and then it shot up to 7,000. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So if you're just going to go in there and do your job and just plug in the bill and, and like a robot that it, you're going to be replaced by AI. Right. So, yeah. so I was like, no, something's going on here. I took it into the CFO and showed him, and he's like, Oh shit, we got a water leak and this and that. And so 
he's like, we got to put you to better use. He promoted me to a staff accountant. I changed my degree to accounting, which UCLA didn't have. So I went to school at night at Cal State LA here in, in Los Angeles. And it took me eight years to finish my degree. You know, here's a valedictorian who went to Caltech full scholarship. I had a scholarship to MIT. And, I, and now I'm at Cal State LA taking eight years to get my degree. But I'm like, hey, it is what it is. And I learned the business 11 years under Ron, became his CFO, director of acquisitions. You know, we were buying parks at 10, 11, 12 caps. It was just, it was, it was and nobody knew what these were. I mean, these were trailer <laughs> parks, right? And then in 99, I went on my own and formed Evergreen Communities and said, all right, I'm going to give this a shot, right? You know, it was like a few months before I was getting married. I'm like, all right, I don't have kids yet. This is my chance. Let me see if I can do this. And bought my first park up in New York and you know got some investors you know uh, all my money's just been one-on-one syndications friends families uh, people that they've brought in to that said hey this this stuff's working what are you doing <laughs> let me in so learn the system there and i'd go and i still do go out to the properties walk the property see what's going on see what your competitors are doing see what's going on in the market see what you know, what's happening around you. Don't go in there and think, oh, this is a cash cow and I'm just going to make all this money and it's going to be on autopilot because it's not. You'll quickly find out. Yeah. yeah, As you and I both know, you'll quickly find out stuff comes up from the city, from your sewer systems, from your this, from your that. So, um, so I just learned it from the ground up, you know, literally one, one deal at a time, one, one decision at a time, one transaction at a time. And I never had any goals or aspiration to think, oh, I'm going to own a portfolio and I'm going to be this. And I thought, hey, I'm going to I'm going to be some executive right hand man for some owner and be their CFO, their money guy. And, and I, you know, I dream numbers all the time. So I sort of got thrown into that and said, all right, let, run with it. And uh, and yeah, and so that that led me into this industry well before the hedge funds and the uh, I mean, back when when Sun Communities and there was Chateau and and they weren't even they were just forming their first REIT and all this. So uh, so it was interesting to see how the how the industry has changed. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's changed so much that that's such a such an amazing story. You know, I think a lot of operators kind of fell into this after single family. You know, they yeah. kind of got into single family investing and said, hey, let me scale up. But that's so interesting that you were fortunate enough to just jump into this right through UCLA and working with Ron Singer. What were interest rates like back when you're buying these 10, 11, 12 caps? What what was that like when you first got started? Yeah, you know, I mean, they were in the seven, eight percent, six to eight. That, and I know we're, we're seeing a, a spike in rates now, but you know what what I can tell these people again, being now thirty something years in the industry is you know we've seen it all two thousand eight and 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 ninety six recession and, and I mean just so many so many different things, and you got to adjust, but it's all going to come back. It's all cyclical. I'm enjoying buying properties what we're under we're closing on a on a deal in North Carolina at the end of this month, and then I have another another two in the in the hopper that nice. that are seller financing and and realizing that say, hey, this is great because once I stabilize these deals and I have a five-year window to look at where rates are going to go, I'm going to refinance this. And who knows, rates may be back down in the fours or the threes or, you know, I, I don't know if we'll get back in the twos, like some of the deals that we mm-hmm. locked in at, but, um, but you got to look long-term. You know, I've been I've been seeing some of these guys get in trouble or or stretching to buy and, and pounding their chest. I got this many sites and I got that many sites. And you know what? No one really cares. To me, it's like, 
I'm happy with the amount of sites I have. We buy one or two deals a year and, and we do them right and we treat them right and we visit them every every quarter. And I go out once a year and walk the properties and and from the first deal we own to the latest that we're gonna buy, you just gotta take care of these things. You know, you yeah. you you gotta you gotta realize they're not just flip and burn and cram a huge rent increase down and and pull the money out because you're not you're not only screwing the resident, you're screwing yourself. You're getting the town and everybody's visibility on you and rent control and everything else. So being a responsible owner has been my my most beneficial reward. And and not like, yeah. oh, you're you're so nice, Julio. It's like, no, I, it's it's helped me financially being a responsible owner. Totally. Yeah. Because yeah. you'll get that sticky tenant. Let me go yep. back to what you were talking about, like the recessionary times, 1996, 2008. You know, I wasn't in the business until 2017. Right. So uh -huh. there's a lot of new blood in the business. And it's it's kind of been like rolling strikes, right? Like every deal since 2017 till now. But I would love to learn about, you know, the recessionary times and what you learned, what you did with your operations during that time to battle, you know, to get through. Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, in a lot of those times, you still do well because of where we're positioned in the, in the housing stack. We're affordable housing. We're, I think, better than apartments. If you, again, if you provide a good service, a clean park, you, you don't have neighbors up below you, beside you. You know, COVID even help. It's like, oh, I don't want to get in an elevator in some high rise in downtown Charlotte. And it's like, oh, okay, come out to our park and you have your oh. own parking spot and you could pull up. But we, we had to adjust in of operations wise into working with tenants you know if if somebody uh you know some had to at certain certain times get onto payment plans and just keeping keeping on top of your operations you can't you can't let it go you still got to keep the property looking good you still got to reinvest you got to take care of your roads you got to do all these things while also realizing okay People are losing their jobs or this this plant just shut down here right right outside of Youngstown, Ohio. And and uh, you know, we we have an issue. 30 of our tenants are are on, on being furloughed or so you gotta remain nimble, but really staying on top of it. You you can't you can't just begin that autopilot and think these things are just gonna fix themselves because because they're not. You you gotta put effort into it and try not to get over leveraged. You know, some of these guys think, hey, I, I just wanna get in there. Not what is the proper amount of leverage, do you think? What's the proper amount of leverage? Well, I mean, we used to buy back in the GE capital lending days, they would do 80% LTV. And if you mm -hmm. get in with 20%, and again, that helps your return. So I get all that. But, you know, take the proper leverage that the lender could give you, but then properly capitalize yourself. So you have reserves. You know, if, if your occupancy dips, you have some reserves, reserves for property improvements and know, okay, hey, I'm on a 10-year loan here with Fannie Mae, and they're, they're going to have my capital reserves each month, but I'm going to need X amount, I'm going to need $300,000 in, in this reserve fund for roads or for other improvements. So just what I'm seeing in some of the, some of the younger people and some of the people that come in here is they, they just think, hey, I'm going to get by with as little as possible, get in, flip and sell this thing out in five years. And it works for some. I mean, some jack up the rent, sell it, and I'll look at a property. I'm like, oh, man, I saw that three, four years ago, and it was going for $3 million. Now they want $8 million and and the yeah. rent's doubled, and everybody's pissed off in the property. Sure. Uh, their delinquencies, at, and that formula wasn't – I wouldn't sleep well at night knowing I'm just, I'm sure. just like – creaming the 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 most uh, you fragile know the residents that need the most help yeah, yeah. it's fragile yeah totally yeah. 
Yeah, totally agree. So, so the leverage question, you know, kind of varies, right? Like if you're going into refi, is that your model and to buy, fix up and refi and hold on to it? Or, you know, is it buy, fix up and sell? What's the... Yeah, no, we don't like to sell. I mean, we've sold a few properties and, and like another operator I ran into said, you know, he, he called it trimming the tree areas that you weren't getting too well enough or you couldn't build sure. around or... Uh, so we've sold a handful of properties and, and it's funny because everyone, I've talked to the buyers of all those properties at the events and, and, and they've all done well with them as well. So that, that's the beauty of this business is you can make your money, sell it to someone else and they can take it to that next level. We like to hold long-term. We like to take our rents up, you know, right below market, but over a long-term plan. You know, I, I, I spoke at one of the George Allen seminars and, and, and I said, I don't care if you're $200 under the market, that those residents living in that community are either on fixed income, they're living check to check, they've already adjusted to that rental amount. They don't care if you think, oh, well, the rents are, your rents are 300, but everything's 500, so I'm gonna give you a $200 rent increase. It, it's not going to happen. You're, what's the most, Julio, what's the most you would raise rents on a, on a group of tenants, you know, year one? I've tried to stay under that $50 range, 40, 45. And, and I've usually, especially if in your business plan, I've given them something like, hey, guess what we're doing? I did do one um, in New Hampshire recently. We were like $200 under rent and we put in a $75 increase, but we repaved all the roads. We spent like 200,000 on roads. We brought in dumpsters, we cleaned stuff up and the residents were actually thankful that somebody cared about the property. And then anyone new coming in, we adjust them to market. So if you're going to resell your house, they're not going to get to stay at 325 when everyone else sure. is at 500. And that makes so sense. We, I've had the same experience, you know, where you, where you reinvest, you put the capital in. And then when you do the, the rent increase, people are grateful. You know, yeah. I, I, I've really seen that. And there's only been like one instance where, you know, I think it was just the tenant base that just, we didn't have a good response, you know, I think, but it was only like, 10% of the people in the, in the park that were, were upset about it. But yeah, I think that's reasonable, you know, especially because if you don't increase the rents, there's going to be a higher and better use for the property. And mm -hmm. as you've seen, mobile home parks are disappearing right now. There's more being torn down than there are new ones being built. So Absolutely. Uh, at some point you got to increase the rents. Otherwise the, the investment won't make sense. Let me circle back to this and ask you, because I know in the past six months, you've attended the uh, the city of Burbank council meeting twice <laughs> and called them out once for rent control and then twice for the water and power increases. And uh, you speak against the council from a renter's point of view and how they're, they're hurting the renter's pockets. So maybe tell us about that and what you're trying to accomplish at those meetings. I enjoyed that. But well, I mean, a lot of that stems from again, my love of the free market and the system. And, and I started, and I tell that story to, to the city council. I said, I was able to live in Burbank and, and, and people who don't know LA, Burbank is its own microcosm around Los Angeles and the disaster that is the LA school district, LA police force, everything else. Burbank has its own school systems, police force, utilities, all the studios are here. It, it is just like a small town, well-run small town in this behemoth of a, the second largest city in the country. And so when my dad, you know, brought us here from Columbia legally, he's like, I got to live in Burbank. I mean, that, that's where my kids are going to get a good education. So we rented, he, he got it. He's like, he's like, I can't afford to buy yet in there. So we rented to get in Burbank. And now about a year and a half ago, I bought uh, there were there's a property management company in here in Burbank that that 
manages about 900 units, apartments, triplex, and me and a, a real estate buddy of mine. And again, this goes into keeping those good relations. He came to me and he said, hey, you want to buy this company with me? And I was like, sure. So we bought this company. The, the seller carried paper for it. So we didn't have to go in with a lot. And we're, we're representing all these renters and, and these people that have owned their homes for all these years. And meanwhile, the homes in Burbank, the, you know, I had bought one in 96 and, and now I own three, but I had bought one in 96 for 179,000 and little 1600 square foot house that, you know, in, in Florida or somewhere else is three, 400,000 now. Well, it's about a million one here in Burbank and it's paid off. I rent it out. I'm really good to my tenants. I'm like, they've been there like seven years. I think I've given them, I don't even follow a lot of my own business rules. I've given them only a couple of rent increases. I'm like, they're good people. And, and so I'm, I'm telling these people, I'm like, the, the minute you implement rent control, all of these people are going to say, I'm selling my home. Someone else is going to buy it. And there's going to be a lot less rental inventory. And, and the people that want to come to Burbank and go to the better schools and, and advance are, are going to get hurt. So the one thing when one side of the political equation tries to go the other way, I, I sort of dissect them. And, sure. and, and that's, you know, I throw in my Spanish and my heritage and everything and say, hey, you can't call me a racist or a right wing this or right. I'm a businessman. And here's how it works, buddy. Yeah. And you, you want to control rents? Add inventory, this, supply this and demand. Happen. It's that yeah. fucking simple. Part of my language. Yeah. No, no, no. But, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Let's circle back here, you know, because we got passive investors in, in looking at investing in mobile home parks. You know, maybe you can tell us how your mobile home park investing strategy has changed over the years, if it has, uh, and why. Sure, sure. So we form single purpose entities, LLCs in each state. So each of our each of our properties are single asset LLCs, and then I have I have limited member investors, and we're the managing member. And over the years, you know, twenty five plus twenty four and a half years now of Evergreen. Um, you know, we used to buy stabilized communities with three to five percent vacancy, and dealers would bring in homes, and and that's all changed now. And so, we've found now some communities that have more hair on them, but are in great markets. So you you also obviously want to be in the right markets, and we've our probably our last ten deals we've done as joint ventures. I've brought in different people, whether they were brokers or operators that didn't have either the know-how or the capital, but said, hey, I want to be in this business and I want to bring something to the table. I'm going to bring either the community to you or I'm going to put in a ton of work. And so this deal we're buying in North Carolina, I'm doing with with the joint venture and the fellow lives 20 minutes from the property. And he doesn't have investors yet. He doesn't have anything. I'm like, don't worry about it. I got plenty of investors. We just got to make sure the property works. So he's going to work on site, learn the property, then hire the manager and then build from there. But so this joint venture models worked for us quite a bit. And our investors know that long term, this thing's going to cash flow great. And, you know, we, we prepare them, hey, early on, we're below market rents. There's vacancy. We're going to do some cleanup. Your returns are going to be X. But hang on and let us get there. And, and it's going to get there. And th- these things are like a snowball effect once you do it right. So, so value we, add, we, you went from more stabilized to value add now. And that's exactly what we do as well, you know, yeah. because I think you're going you're to be able to get the returns that make sense. And then also you're, you're fixing up these assets, right? I assume you're buying these things from mom and pops, just like we are, yep. that have kind of just let the deferred maintenance compound. And they've kind of, you know, taken every dollar as like a, using it as a retirement vehicle and they haven't reinvested. So yeah. uh, I, I think that's a great model as well right now. 
What mistakes in mobile home park investing over the 30 years you've been in the business, what mistakes have you made that you know we could learn from? One of them is, you know, not buying in the right market in certain tertiary markets where, I mean, we bought this property that was just beautiful outside of in Indiana. And you got to realize your competitors aren't always just other mobile home parks. If, if somebody can go and buy a stick built home and and own the land and build their own equity for $120,000 in a podunk town, they're competing against where you can take your rents and where you can sell homes. And one of them was not, you know, not buying in that. Another one is we, we buy in now we've been gearing more towards, you know, again, not politically, but financially more red States. I love California. I mountain bike here every morning. I love it, but I wouldn't buy another property here. It's just overtaxed, mismanaged, you know, I, we own yeah. two communities in New York and I wouldn't buy another property in New York. I mean, Me neither. Yeah. When, when you put a 3% rent control on something, it sounds great when CPI was two. Now when it's eight or, you know, 3% doesn't cut it. So I think you got to buy in the right areas where the populations are going, where the populations are moving. And, you know, private utilities can be tough, but if you do it right and you look at it and you study it and know you can get it right, we we have well water and septic on some communities. We have sewer plants and you just got to know what you're getting into and know that, you know, sometimes like our well water is better than city water at a community we have and they want us to hook up to the city and we're like, our, our water quality is better than yours. Mm. Why, why do we want to pay you for every bit of water that gets leaks out of our system? So I'd say in our history, we had a couple communities that have, you know, had issues. One was a, f- a flood. Floodplains are unfortunately really tough now because some of the yeah. best lenders want bi flood insurance which is business interruption Super expensive yeah and it's yeah it's it's expensive as heck and then again the the market that you're in you i'd, I'd rather own a, a a junky property in downtown dallas than a great property in the in the middle of nowhere so beautiful how property. Do you, yeah. how do you judge that are you looking like what metrics make a good market for you is it just the population growing and a, a median home price above one hundred twenty thousand or what are you specifically looking at there? Because our portfolio is mainly in secondary markets throughout the Midwest, mm-hmm. and you know we've been been pretty successful with them. You know we've 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 hit I think one market like Southeast uh, Iowa. We sold our one mobile home park that we had there because it was a it was a market thing. Just you know employers were leaving, and we kind of just we didn't want to be you know help, the last one in the town holding the bag. But yeah, tell me tell me about what you're looking at when you look at a, a good market. Sure. And just for the record, a lot of our properties are secondary markets too. And I, I, I love secondary markets. The, the few where we made mistakes, really tertiary ones that just like, like your Iowa one that was just like too far out of the, the one thing I've learned and we didn't, we, I, I never like putting hard metrics that this is our minimum FICO score, or this is our minimum home rent, or this is the minimum population. I, I like to take it all in. And so we'll get a property and, and I'll look at it, I'll Google Earth it, and, and I'll look at, all right, where's the growth going? What's, what city is it? You know, is it outside of this MSA and, and what's happening there? And, you know, is, is growth coming there? And then I look to, you know, well, well, how, you know, how far are the jobs? How far are the, you know, the Walmarts and the different shopping areas? And then, yeah, you should look at the housing prices. But now, fortunately, I mean, housing prices everywhere are, you know, minimum two, three hundred thousand that, yeah. that, yeah, we're, we're still a very competitive alternative. So that isn't a big of a factor. Uh, another tip I can give is I look at the, the reviews 
that the tenants give on the Google, like we'll look, we just looked at a property yesterday and you'll look at the reviews and everyone's on there. The, this owner's terrible. Their, their water's bad, or they just jacked up the rent or they just did. And you're going to get the haters. But if you see 10, 20 of the, you're like, all right, they have this issue yeah. going on at that property. Consistent. And at least you know yeah. about it. Um, totally. So you want to use the technology, the internet to your benefit. We'll, we'll do searches on what are apartment rents and other parks or home home rentals in that area. So we know, okay, the, the sweet spot's going to be 1100 here for a three bedroom, two bath home if we bring it in. So you want to do your quick research, but I don't like hard black and white metrics. I, li- I like looking at, you know, I like that. most no, of I our like- deals... Yeah. Tell a story. I like not having a hard and fast rule, you know? Yeah. I think that's how we are. We kind of are like, hey, this doesn't meet the threshold. You know, the median home price isn't a hundred thousand and the 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 monthly income doesn't add up. So that's interesting. No, because one of our properties, like one of the very first ones we bought, is in a, a tertiary area of Pennsylvania, but it's like the best one. Like it's like zero turnover. The homes in the park sell for 50, 60 grand cash, you know? Nice. Like, so it's one of those markets that like we, you know, we got lucky. And then there's others that like the Southeast Iowa that just didn't, didn't ever develop into to something. And let me ask you this, Julio. This is like the one question that I ask every, every person I have on the show. And it's the one that gets the, the best feedback from listeners. So what are the most important things passive investors? You know, we're talking... 30,000 foot view, passive LPs. What do they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? First of all, you want to look at who you're partnering with. Uh, you know, who are you putting your money with? Do your background on them. Look to see what they're doing. Do your investment criteria line up with theirs? Are you, are you going in just to flip and burn and be out in five years? Or, or is this something, hey, you know, I have investors tell me, don't sell anything. I don't want to pay Uncle Sam. I just want to keep getting those quarterly distributions. <laughs> and and when you refi, let's pull some money out and buy something else. So so make sure that aligns. And you want to make sure that the operator you're working with, if you're near any of their properties, visit them. I see some people out there and they're just building it. And then unfortunately, I drive through some of the properties and there's tarps and there's people working on cars and there's and they're st- they're simple stuff that I'm like, this doesn't need to be like this. It's simple stuff. So you want to see how they operate their communities. You want to talk to either o- other of their investors or you know, their lenders, get some good references on even industry-wide. I mean, we, you know, it, it's a small world in this industry. And if somebody's out there slashing and burning and screwing over brokers or screwing over this, they're probably going to screw over their investors. Yeah. So people are consistent as I was once told. So you want to look to who you're partnering with and what they're doing. Don't get seduced by the returns and, oh, they got this waterfall and this preferred return and this and that and say, all right, that that's great. But how long is this property going to be held? How are we going to operate it? What's the long-term goal? The, the returns will get there and the returns will be there and the and the value will catch up. If, if you have a good operator who's not a pig and who's going to look out for the best interest of everybody and get somebody like we invest our own money right alongside with our investors. So we're LPs we're right alongside with them and we're the, we're the GP, we're the managing member. When I tell them, hey, my money's going, I'm only getting paid when you're getting paid. I'm only getting a return when you're getting a return. And so we, we align our objectives, which I think is important for people to look out to. And, and don't get desperate. Don't just think, oh my God, this is the latest, hottest thing. I just got to get in with the first guy I know. Look around. And I'm telling you this, not because we need investors, because we don't. I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't 
take many new investors because I, I already have enough telling me people, hey, when's the next deal? And I'm like, I'm not going to find a deal just to place your money. I'm going to find a deal what makes sense for all of us. And then unfortunately, if I send it out to my 200 plus bench of investors, I'll be like oversubscribed and cutting people. Oh, you're a jerk. I wanted in on that deal. So that's not an issue with us. Fortunately, this long in the game, 25 years, but there's some good people out there. I've invested with some good people, um, a couple communities and groups out there and that do the right thing that have you know, either either done podcasts or, or they were out there and I look at what they're doing on LinkedIn and they're like, they go in there and they invest money like yourself in the property and they value the resident and realize this is this, this is your seed. This is the seed of your of your growth and your investment. If you're going to go shit on your seed, then it's not going to grow. Uh, but yeah. if you're going to go- of my, One of my very first investors, he uh-huh. worked at Goldman Sachs and he, he had a, a long tenure there. And he said one of their like core values, one of their things they repeated at Goldman was be long-term greedy. And that just kind of resonated, right? Like if you're, if you're short-term greedy, you're always going to get in trouble, right? But be long-term greedy, do the right thing for the long-term because you and I both know, Hey, we can put some lipstick on the pig when we're rehabbing a mobile home and do it for three or four grand, or we could spend six or seven grand and do it right and put this thing to bed. And, And when we, when we sell it, we can know that, hey, that tenant's going to be happy for a long time and they're not going to need to go anywhere. So yeah, I'm completely aligned with you there. I love that. Tell us a little bit about Evergreen. Tell us about like your portfolio, where you guys own. Uh, if you don't mind, just kind of give us a, little, a recap of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're in 12 states. I got our maps behind me here, but we started in, you know, we like the North. We started in the Northeast. I don't see any um, pins on Hawaii over there. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'd, we'd love to get there. <laughs> and we've sort of followed where the good deals are, where the markets It brought us to Florida. We, we have some in the Midwest. We have a lot of communities near universities. We love, we love university towns. We love places that aren't going anywhere. You know, we, we have a community th- two miles from Notre Dame and, they're, it's always expanding and they're adding student housing and they're doing this and they're doing that. And there's always jobs and people think, well, a professor is not going to live in there. No, but the people who work in the cafeteria or the people that clean the buildings or the people that do this, and we followed a deal. We bought it. We bought a deal in new Orleans and it was just in a great area. And we, we, you just got to think about it and say, all right, this was three miles from the, from the airport. And the airport is always for hurricanes and everything else. It's got to be accessible to bring in FEMA and help. And so the levees that were built there, this thing isn't even in a, in a flood zone because it's so well protected. So we like to do the follow that, follow the, the, the trends in the population. Like I said, we're, we're really hot on the red states. I'm trying to get into Texas, which I haven't yet, but I'm close. Uh, you know, we're going into North Carolina. I like Tennessee. There's good areas everywhere. The, the mountain states, we got into Wyoming and Colorado, again, just through joint ventures. I have a joint venture partner in Denver, and he found some great stuff. And Montana, we're trying to get into. So, And like you said, there's great stuff everywhere. In Iowa, Minnesota, you just got to find those pockets. If it goes back to people like, oh, I'm going to write off the whole area. I'm not buying in the Midwest or I'm not buying in this state. And then next thing you know, it's like one of our best properties is is in a crappy, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about New York and one of our best properties up by Saratoga Springs, which the area is just awesome. We'd never have a vacancy and homes sell for 180 grand. And luckily the 3%, you know, our rents are 500 plus. So the 3% rent cap is still a 15 20 rent increase and where we are in that community owning it 20 years that's more than we're fine we, we don't have to we're long-term yeah. greedy as, as you say i love that um, oh, i love that so so yeah so we're we're real methodical we like tell me to this. be tell me about your that? worst deal an investor asked me this the other day. tell me about your worst deal 
my worst deal. You know what? There's a couple deals that we had to sell in Indiana that weren't quite in the areas we thought they were going to be. There wasn't quite the development. And even our worst deal, our investors made money. No one has ever lost money with us, fortunately, and uh, awesome. our investors still made money. And, and then I, I saw the, the purchaser of that deal, and he went more aggressive on the rents and did some stuff. And then he sold it and made more money. So, uh, I mean, I talk about a deal we have in Florida, and that's why you got to take that long-term view and not panic. We have a deal in Florida, and in 2004, we bought it in 2003. In 2004, it got hit by two hurricanes. It was a double whammy. It was, it was a nightmare. We lost 100 homes, just imploded. Oh, my goodness. And, and I went down there pulling metal off homes, helping the people clean up. You got to get over yourself. Some of these people, oh, I worked on Wall Street. I don't give a shit. Get up there and help clean up the park. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so go down there and show your residents and, and your managers and your regionals that you you put your pants on just like they do. And so we're up there cleaning the park. And I thought I was going to lose it to the bank. And the city let us bring in RVs on the mobile home sites. And we bought that property for $10 million, almost lost it to the bank. And last year, someone offered us $50 million for it. Yeah. Dude. So, I mean, this is this Congrats, is 20 years, you, you wow. know, 13, 18 years later. But you, you just got to weather the things. Don't panic. You're not going to win or lose in the short term. You got you got to take that long. So yeah, so Evergreen is, is again just very low key, methodical. We're to the point where even like my CFO says, hey, we don't have to buy. And I'm like, I know, but if I see a great deal and I like it and I still enjoy it and and I like going out there when I travel to the properties, I go and catch a game in Boston or you know where we have two properties in New Hampshire and I'll go catch a everything, hockey, football. I like seeing the city and and knowing what's going on around me. Areas you would never see if you weren't in this business, right? Totally. Like you know, yeah. parts of Iowa. No, so I you, love you, that. I think yeah. there's a recurring theme that I'm picking up on, and and I'm I'm the same way. I'm a control freak. I'm very hands on. Yeah, you know. Like we talked about before we started recording is like, I'm the type of operator, right? I don't come from wall street, but you know, I'll get under a home and I know how to change a ball valve and I know how to get, you know, nice. get some new water lines ran and get it, get it winterized. And I think you're the same type, right? It, you got to be hands-on sometimes. And oh, yeah. I love that, that correlation of like, Hey, there's a finance side of, of the business, but there's also the side that's like, Hey, I know how to install a home myself if I need yeah. to, right? Yeah. Like I know how to, you know, uh, set these things and put them up on the, the axles. So that's really cool, man. I, I, yeah. I like your style. That's, yeah, that's and awesome. people should know none of this is rocket science. That there, no. there's not. I, I haven't used my calculus or derivatives or or or, or <laughs> physics from Cal from Caltech. All, all you need is basics here. But again, it's, it's elbow just grease. Be, you gotta yeah, be. Yeah. It, you it, gotta be willing to put the work in, and that's the that's the hard part. You know, like yeah. I know there's an operator that owns like I want to say like over two billion in in assets under management of multifamily. Uh -huh. And a few years ago, he got into mobile home parks and bought like eight or nine communities and hired someone from Sun Communities to come in and like manage the whole deal and just drove them into the ground. Like just because it's it's operationally intensive. And that's what yeah. people don't realize. You can't just hire a third party manager and say, here, take it over. No, you yeah. have to have your own management in-house. You have to be looking at the KPIs you know, every single day and look at what's failing and, and you get attention to it. Uh, otherwise, it can get out of hand and get out of hand fast. So yeah. I think you know, he ended up selling that portfolio. You know, he, didn't, he was like his worst performing deal it was this mobile home park portfolio that he did compared mm -hmm. to all the multifamily that was his, his mainstream. But it just goes to show you, things can go south fast if you not have your finger on the pulse, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and nobody cares about the properties like yourself. And and like you so, that's, so that, right. th- that's another thing that I preach is I don't care how smart, good, capable you are. You only have eight to 10 hours a day if, if you're working that much to make shit happen. So you got to multiply yourself. You got to share equity. You, you, you got to bring people in that, that, that care sure. about it. When you, when you third party everything, they're like, oh, I'm getting my fee. I don't care. And, and, I, and I've seen that again at some of the comps I've driven through. Like, oh, that's third party managed. And I'm like, oh man, that looks like shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, part of my life, I'm like, I'm like I wouldn't allow my property. A lot. I, I'd be like, Later, dude, I'll do this myself. So you got to empower and share some of that growth. Totally. So you have a rising tide. For the greater good. Totally. Yep. Julio, what does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? Oh, great question. The perfect community for me would be at least a hundred plus sites, some you know, something that that has some size, institutional quality, that is well occupied with big, big lots. You know, you you want to worry about that you know obsolescence where you can you, you got diff, differing setbacks and you can no no longer get a get homes in there in a community that has that has a lot of community feel to it where you have events where you have you know different objectives where people are helping each other you know one one community where in our community center we added laptops and computers for the kids that don't have that in their home, this is a Hispanic park and they come in there and do their homework. And, and, you know, so, so people want to stay there. People want to be there. So you have that community feel at a decent rent level, you know, 20 to $50 within the market. And you're consistently reinvesting in it. And you're like, oh man, I'm going to hold this 30, 40, 50 years. My kids are going to have this. And the city's just growing up around you. And it's just like, oh my God, this thing is just caught into this area. And, and we have we have several like that. And I think those are just gems for everybody. The residents love them. The city's happy. And you know, you, we talked about the city. You need to impress them so they're not coming down. Hey, you guys are a disgrace to our town. You're looking like a trailer park. Totally. And your investors about- like them. because like, man, this thing just keeps giving off cash. Totally. What about park-owned homes? Are you a fan of park-owned homes or tenant-owned homes and then utilities in your perfect mobile home park? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I like direct build city utilities. Well, we're not even sub-metering them where they're just getting built. And we have several like that too. They're just great. We used to only like tenant-owned homes. And you know, there's some areas where, again, you got to adjust. And we have probably our most beautiful community that has just gorgeous double wides. And we had to bring in some homes there and Nobody wanted to buy us. A lot of seniors are like, I'm not going to get into a new mortgage. I want to rent. And we had to rent some homes there. But we like the the pride of ownership when somebody has some skin in that game and that home and they're going to stay longer, whether we're carrying paper or it's a rent to own lease or something where they're going to be there longer. So we don't want to be just an all apartment type community where everything's rentals. But I think if, again, if you do it right and scrutinize right, get better people in there, if, if they're going to rent their homes and, you know, have some guidelines, we allow dogs, but not large dogs or vicious breeds or certain things in our rental homes. So it's the sum of a lot of small, good decisions. People say, oh, what's my goal? This and that. I, I don't even know. It keeps moving. But as long as I'm making good, pretty good decisions, most of the time, it's going to keep growing. So, you know, percentage wise, how many park owned homes do you have? in your portfolio? I'd say, I mean, we're probably less than 10%. Less than 10%. Um, Same with us. I mean, yeah, we have some, but like, it's not the preferred thing. We prefer the tenant owned homes and then yeah, utilities, direct build, you know, public utilities all the way. We have just a few more questions just because we're running out of time. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, Sorry. I talk a lot. (laughs) No, no, no. I just want to make sure we get through all of these. 
Yeah. Uh, Julio, what does the future of mobile home park investing look like? And how do you see mobile home parks fitting in with the direction the economy is going with obviously the, the higher interest rates and possible recession? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're emerging gem, but that more people have to catch on to. I mean, we're the answer to the affordable housing. We're the answer to a lot of the homeless. I mean, we, we have in, in New Hampshire, a homeless veteran group came to us and said, hey, we want to buy this mobile home, split it in half and make two units for two of our homeless veterans. And we were like, I mean, we love veterans. We, we don't want crazy going on and affecting all of our residents. And these are now two of our best residents and they take care of the place. And so we have such a great, we got it. We got to quit making allowing the places to look like crap make them nice and keep developing new stuff and showing that i I think we're the answer i think for the stuff we own i think we have a huge runway in rents you know compared to where apartments are and what where these things can go long term from the investor side i think if you you, again you you get there the long-term greedy but where it's a limited supply and there's so many people getting in there that it it's hard it's competitive you know i think we got to quit cannibalizing each other and overpaying for stuff. And then, you know, people end up going under and, and the last one standing, like you said, oh, I, I got overbid on this call to offer. And then it's like, oh, great. Why'd you pay for that? It's it's below the cash flow. You're, you're getting a negative return. So you, you still got to be smart about it and, you know, finding the deal. And But I think the biggest thing is being a responsible owner. And when when you take care of these things and set the set the bar, set the example, the sky's the limit because then 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 you can develop new stuff you can show towns you say look what we've done we, we have a community that they said no more mobile home spaces in our town we're not allowed and then and then we built we we cleaned this thing up and we went to them and say hey first of all hud said you you can't impede these things we need affordable housing and and your people need this and you're going to get more tax revenue and look what we've done and they came and looked at it and said man Absolutely. And and now we just got approved for a hundred space expansion because they, they want these things. So people are watching you and yeah. you can't be a pig and, totally. and you can't be stupid is what I'm saying to people. It's like, it's like, this isn't the lottery. This is elbow grease, hard work, and a damn great investment. When you take care of all your stakeholders, you're the lender, the tenant, the investor, and you, the owner. I love it. I love yeah. it. Julio, how can listeners get a hold of you? So our website's evergreencommunities.com. My email is Julio, J-U-L-I-O at evergreencommunities.com. I'm available. I like to help. I got a lot of help coming up. And so I've given people advice and reviewed deals for them. And and I don't need anything from you or a fee or anything. That That's just not my where we're at. And and, and if, if someone has a great deal and it makes sense and we're like, hey, let, can you can we put this together? We'll look at it. Well, again, we have we have now six joint venture partners in different parts of the country that that brought us a deal or or brought us an area we wanted to get into, and it's a win-win. If you look at, you're not going to take advantage of me, and I'm not going to take advantage of you. With one plus one equals three, then we're on board. I love that. I love yeah. that. That is fantastic. So, one last piece of advice that you would give to you know interested passive investors before we sign off. Sure. Be patient. Look who you're working at. Don't look at this strictly financial. Look at it and say, okay, how am I getting into the right thing with the right people so you don't get screwed? Pardon my language. And using what you said, be long-term greedy. Realize this isn't a liquid investment. This isn't a Tesla stock. It's not going to double in two years, but it's going to keep giving back to you. It's going to give you depreciation. It's going to give you a lot of benefits. And 
do the right thing and you'll be rewarded handsomely. I love it, Julio. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Okay. And then one last thing we're going to end is you and I are going to have to do a, an Ironman together just, just to hang out. That sounds amazing. I'm ready yeah. to go. Tell me, okay. tell me when. We'll, we'll plan it. We'll, we'll plan it, man. All right. Julio, thanks again. And uh, everybody listening, I hope you got some good golden nuggets out of this episode. That's it for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Yeah. And thank you, Andrew, for informing so many people in this industry with these podcasts. Well, thanks, Julio. Thank you. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at Passive MHP Investing for photos and awesome videos from our recent mobile home park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there.